so for today, we are going to be talking about the first few chapters on the novel night. Today, we have Jason, Wyatt, Emma, and Regan. Let's begin. Okay, so uh, one topic that I think is very important to the book um, that I wanted to bring up is the arrival in Auschwitz. And um, it's obviously very important, but um, I had a couple of things that I wanted to uh, discuss and ask some questions about. So uh, on page 30, uh, this is when uh, they first arrive in Auschwitz. So Mm -hmm. uh, there's a there's an inmate there. And he asks his age, and he says 15, and the inmate says, no, you're 18. And his father is 50, and the inmate says, no, you're 40. You have to be 18 and 40. And that's uh, important for their survival because they needed to um, appear strong enough to work uh, in order to survive. And I thought that was really interesting how they had to lie in order to survive pretty much. And then also on the same page, Um, there's another important part. So an inmate says, why have you all come here? And somebody replies to him and says, why do you think we're here? We're here against our will. Um, and the inmate just goes crazy. He's, uh, he says, don't you know where you are? You're in Auschwitz. Uh, you don't know in 1944. And he's just really mad at everybody. And so, I thought that was really interesting too. And so why do you think the inmate was, was mad at everyone for not knowing what they were getting themselves into? I feel like the inmate might've been mad because he's like upset since he's been there longer than them. And he like wants them to like understand like the actual. Yeah. He, he wants them to understand his perspective, his point of view. And because he's, you know, he's been there longer, he's dealt with more of the mental and emotional trauma. And, you know, they're fresh there, so they don't understand anything yet. Yeah, they just, the the new incomers just kind of sound naive. So that might have, like, made him upset and, like, want them to, like, realize, like, what's actually going on. Yeah. Wasn't that the same yeah. inmate that told them to lie about their age? Um, let me see. No, it was a different one. So It was a different inmate. Yeah, so that inmate was really mad at them, but the first one was uh, helpful to them and kind to them. So why do you think that one was helpful and told them to lie about their age? I think that they were being helpful. And, like, he was being helpful because he was worried about them. Because if you're not fit for the job, you're just trash to them. So... I think he just wanted them to survive as long as they could. Yeah, I agree with Emma. Yeah, I agree with that also because, you know, in the 1940s, Jews were viewed as trash. They were viewed as peasants in society. And because of the way that Hitler was saying and doing things, people did not want to be around Jews. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think that um, the one that helped him was just trying to protect them from getting hurt or killed yeah i agree and i think it's interesting because uh 
maybe the the first one who was helpful to them, maybe he was newer to the camp, and so he wasn't as uh, hardened and beat down as the second inmate. And it yes. shows, I guess, how they, how much they change, how much the camp changes them. Mm-hmm. And then, they, oh, what was that? Didn't they first stop in Birkenau? Uh, I believe I, so. I remember just at the first, the end of the first chapter, it was, quote, in front of us, those flames in the air, the smell of burning flesh. It might have been around midnight. We had arrived in Birkenau. Yeah, Birkenau is where Auschwitz is. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I found was that Birkenau-Auschwitz was the very first mass, like, what would you say? Like, it was like the very first prison that was used as the final solution. Initially, it was just a concentration camp. But then it turned into the largest extermination oh, yeah. centers in 1942. Oh, yeah, they called them they called them death camps because yeah. you weren't sent there just for work; you were sent there to die. Yeah. Yes, you were right. It it, it was broken out. Mm-hmm. And then so I, to... I had one more uh, thing from this area that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. So this is on page 33 now. And at this point, they're walking towards uh, the crematorium. And, you know, as we read, he gets just steps away from it before he's actually spared and he's told to turn to the side. Um, Mm. But as he's in this line of people just waiting to die, all of them are praying um, and and stuff like that. And so this is a quote. He says, for the first time, I felt anger rising within me. Why should I sanctify his name? The almighty, the eternal and terrible master of the universe chose to be silent. What was there to thank him for? So I think this is interesting because at the beginning of the book, I would say that he's a pretty religious person. um, Mm -hmm. And already just the first few hours of being in the camp has already taken that away from him. And that's something that a lot of people take very seriously, their religion. And so to see that that's already... He's already doubting his religion was very profound to me. Um, and it just showed the effects of the camp on the inmates. Yeah, I agree. He like the first chapter really like showed and expressed how like religious he was. And for him to already give up on that was pretty big. Yeah. Weren't um, Judists um, didn't they believe in Torah? I I don't know. You don't know? Okay. So a quick Google search. Jewish people believe in the, the Torah. And because we know due to history, we know um, religions are created out of, you know, a central idea. And it might turn into monotheism or polytheism, believing in one God or many gods. I believe that the Jews believed in one God, right? Yeah. 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 True. And, you know... Every single religion is based around a central idea that, you know, there's someone or something higher kind of guiding the human race into the right way. So uh, I feel like him doubting his religion already shows that it's like, you know, why aren't you helping us? You are putting us through all of this hell, putting us through all of these um, actions and trauma. 
So I think that him doubting his religion, it's justified to some point. Yeah, I agree. He's thinking, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to so many people? And nobody's doing anything about it. Yeah. You could also tell from when he says, Father, if that is true, then I don't want to wait. I'll run into the electrified barbed wire. That'll be easier than a slow death in flames. With that quote, you can really tell how everything was just stripped from him. And everything was just replaced with nothing. Yeah, I know they, they they took they took everything from them. They took their rings, took their hair, their clothes. They were left with nothing. Yeah. So we just finished the talk about you know him in the actual camp. Now isn't it time for the ghettos, or which one are we going to talk about now? Um, Jason, I think we're going to talk about your topic next. Okay. You know, my topic was his life before, um, his life before actually going to Auschwitz. So I, I just, I was skimming through the book before the podcast started. And, you know, he's like, why do you pray? He asked for a moment. Why do I pray? Strange question. Why do I live? Why do I breathe? I don't know. I told him even more troubled and ill at ease. So I think what he was also trying to say is, you know, very religious. You know, he's lived a pretty good life, but, you know, he doesn't really know why he prays. He just does it because he's grown up off of it. And, you know, I read somewhere that um, religious kids tend to be a little bit more happy than kids that don't believe in much. But um, also read somewhere that, you know, I don't really know what I'm saying at this point. No, I agree. And I, it also goes back to what we just talked about, um, how uh, praying and all of that, it's just something he kind of does. And I think that was, I think that kind of contributes to him in the first night of being in the camp already doubting because it wasn't something that, well, I don't know. I was going to say it's something it's that he didn't believe in. It's something that he just did because he was raised in it but Mm -hmm. it's hard to say that i mean in the book it didn't like really describe him like being taught to be religious it was more of like a thing he did on his own because the person who was like questioning him was his father i believe yeah it was his father i i think he was religious on his own and he just wanted to and like take that belief but yeah i agree with what wyatt and jason are saying like the religious part is a big role in how he's going to, like, survive this camp and how his story is being told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on top of what you guys were saying, I think that, yeah, like Jason, Jason and Wyatt said, like, when they got to Auschwitz, how everything was taken away from them, that's where you can really tell how when people believe in something really strongly it guides them into thinking and persuading their actions so once they were stripped of all of that they didn't know what to do of themselves yeah exactly that is true yeah and um it was also 
there were also a few sentences that I just read. It was like it trend. It doesn't really say like a lot. It doesn't really explain you how his life was 100% before that. We just know that he was a good kid living up until this moment, until the spring of 1944. And I, I read somewhere, in less than three days, German army vehicles already made their appearance on our streets. You know, people didn't really know what was happening. And so they just thought that, you know, stuff was becoming normal, but then they see more Nazis arriving and they see people panicking and I think it was Passover. I'm not really sure what happened back then, but I remember two ghettos be- were being created in Saiget. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not sure, but yeah. <laughs> right here it says ghetto. The first, this was the last ghetto that was established, October 2nd of 1940. Warsaw Ghetto was, estab- was the largest established by Germans. Mm, yeah. I mean, going back to the topic of, like, his past life, I, in general, think he was a really happy kid until um, the German officers came in and took them away because he just sounded really, like, wholesome and put together and happy. And he even mm-hmm. tried to stay that way when they did come for his family and his father. But you can tell, like, once he starts losing his belief, he does start getting angrier. And I feel like that's going to affect him and his survival in the future of the book. No, oh, yeah, it, it will. Yeah, I agree. And I also kind of want to go back to what Jason said about how, uh, how fast it all happened. And, yeah, I think that was really crazy because uh, up until this point, it's just been a matter of, of weeks, right, between mm-hmm. the Germans coming and then the ghettos, and then eventually they end up in the camp. And so um, that's not a lot of time to process everything going on. And he's just a kid. So, uh, yeah, I think it shows how uh, crazy the situation is for him just in general. Yeah, I agree. yeah and, uh, and also that. Wait, no, Reagan, go on. No, I was just going to say I agree with Wyatt. Like how crazy- oh, okay. All right, so um, it was another page that said that, you know, life was returning little little to little back to normal. You know, the barbed wire fences that were encircling, us, encircling them didn't really feel like fear until they received some news that the whole ghetto was going to be liquidated. And that's when people really started to freak out. But then I feel like by that point, you know, um, all the Nazis were already there lining people up, ready to take them onto the camps. Yeah, at that point, it was just too late. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine how traumatizing it is for him living. Wait, how, how, how old is he? I believe he's like 15. Yeah, he was 15. So you're 15 years old and you are seeing p- people being stripped of their families and your family in threat of being stripped apart, how would that make you feel? Yeah, in general, I really think that was traumatizing and we're going to see that affect his character and um, his choices for the future of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I was in that situation, I I don't even I don't even know what I would do. It's really hard to to even comprehend that, you know, putting yourself in that situation. 
you just go with the flows. At that point, there's not much you can do. Yeah. All right, Emma, are you ready to talk about the last topic? Yeah, so my topic was about ghetto and, like, all the events that preceded that. So, so Jason, you were right. It was during Passover when the Gestapo came and established the ghettos. Oh, okay. So this is where I made some connections to some current events that, like, there were many people that were, like, indiscriminately striked by the Hungarian police. So old women, men, children, and cripples. So I related that to the recent protest of George Floyd over George Floyd and there was a NYPD officer that was that pushed a 75 year old man causing him to hit the head on his ground on the ground and gave him a concussion and some lacerations and that's what I concluded with that but there were other the how do you say his name the moish the beetle i think it's like yeah i mean that's how i pronounce it yeah Yeah. me too so on page 10 it says moish the beetle came running to our house i warned you and if you go back a few pages you can see you can read about what he experienced through mm-hmm. and you can tell how everyone in the ghettos and the the town in general were just they weren't try I don't think they were trying to ignore it but like what do you think what do you think they were doing do you think they were just denying it so and being hopeful yeah i feel like if someone came around like the school, for example, and we're saying stuff like that, I don't think anyone would believe that person either and would just think that they're crazy. But I don't I don't know. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And I agree, but I feel like at the same time, I, I feel like you'd think that some people would listen to him. You know, I... I uh I don't I remember reading it. I don't know a specific page it was on or anything. Um mm-hmm. let me see. Let me try to find it. Okay, I don't know where it is, but I, I believe he says that the Jews um it's not that they didn't want to believe him, they didn't even want to hear it. Yeah. So they just they don't want to accept the truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think they were just all in fear of it actually being the truth, so they would just deny it. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, how do you guys feel about like the actual train ride to the camp? Because I remember he explained in yeah. pretty 
pretty graphic detail everything that was going on in the train you know with um with the mother that was always crying yeah and she was she was going crazy at that point she was screaming fire 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 every three seconds yeah and that was uh that was a really interesting part because um she screamed fire a bunch of times And people, you know, everybody jumped up and looked out the windows, but there was nothing there. So what do you think, what do you think was going on there? Like, um, was she just going crazy at that point or, or what? I mean, when, considering the lack of water they had for like three days, I think it was that she was dehydrated and she started hallucinating because of how hot and like stuffed up she was so she just thought of fire i guess yeah that Mm -hmm. makes sense so then yeah or she could have also like tried to make something for them to stop so she could run away with her i I believe she has a child like she like yeah yeah he was 10 years old yeah so she could have maybe like made up something so they would stop and create like a distraction so like she could escape no, no, yeah, exactly. I understand what you mean. And, but yo, go ahead. And, so uh, it was also something else that I read in there that it was like, you know, if you try escaping, you will be shot dead right, right where you are. If you try, um, screwing up anything, you'll be shot. If you, if they basically do anything out of the ordinary or or out of line, just them, them and their child, or everyone that they're with will be shot. So yeah. I don't know what was really going through her mind because there, you know, the three rule, you, you can go three minutes without oxygen, three days without water and three weeks without food. So I feel like towards the third day it was really, really pushing her limits. Yeah. Yeah. And because, yeah, because her husband and her, does she have two other children? Just one. Oh yeah. She had one child. No. Yeah. Because her husband was taken away on a different day by accident. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to bring up. Mm-hmm. And it says that, uh, quote, the separation had totally shattered her. So I, I bet that was part of it, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just the whole combination of everything happening just made her crazy. Yeah. And it also says, continuing on with that, it says... If anyone goes missing, you will all be shot like dogs. So I think that also, like, really shook her up as well. Adding on to everything else that already happened. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. And so uh, has everything covered? Oh, sorry. Oh, well, what page was that? What page was that on? 24. 24. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, that's all. <laughs> okay. So, has everyone, we've all discussed what we wanted to discuss. I think Yeah, so. I think so. All right. Well, then, so, now we need a conclusion, yeah, right? Yeah, I'll say the conclusion. Um, so, thank you for everyone participating. And, yeah, we'll continue this next time. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.